Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of 1 Corinthians. Somebody said special guest. Am I special? I don't know nothing about that. I'm just a knucklehead. My name is Stephen. I'm uh, one of the assistant pastors at Calvary Chapel, Lexington. I oversee the men's ministry called U-Turn for Christ. Some of you guys familiar with U-Turn for Christ. Y'all be praying for me. I need help. <laughs> U-Turn for Christ is a ministry uh, that God has chosen to uh, help uh, men, and we have women's facilities too. We, a- actually, we're about to have one come to uh, Calvary Chapel, Lexington in a, a month or so. But it's a ministry that helped men with addiction problems. Um, and we're not drug and alcohol per se, although we do deal with those. We just deal with people who struggle with sin. Anybody here struggle with sin? I thought so. I'm in the right place then, huh? <laughs> Amen. Um, and so, yeah, I came from Los Angeles, California, back in 2000. <laughs> who said that? You from L.A.? <laughs> and I've been out here since 2001. And uh, the Lord has done a great work in my life. Uh, I'm actually a product of the U-Turn for Christ ministry. I went out uh, and through the ministry in California back in 2000. And so I'm a testimony of uh, the goodness of God and the hope of God. And we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be in 18. But I thank you guys for having me here. I thank Pastor Brennan for... Allow me to come. Uh, it's always a privilege uh, to come and, and uh, be with you guys and just worship the Lord. Uh, I, I love the uh, the worship. Uh, David's like, uh, I love him, man. I love uh, just the worship that he does. He comes um, to our Friday night service. We have a Friday night service for the U-Turn for Christ ministry from time to time here in Victoria. And they, they uh, uh, worship with us, man. And I just... For a young man, he's just got an old soul. You know what I mean? Anybody know what I mean by that? Just that old school, old soul worship that's just like down home and it's authentic and it's real. Thank you, bro. Love you, man. For real, man. Um, anyway, uh, the title, the, the Wisdom of God versus the Wisdom of the World. And what we're going to hopefully see uh, this morning is how uh, God's wisdom uh, helps to build up and to to uh, give us a foundation that we can stand on, uh, not only as individuals, but as a church. And then we'll see that the wisdom of the world is very divisive. It's deceptive, and it's not a sure thing. The church in Corinth was a, divide, was a divided church. So much was so wrong with the church. There was a misuse of spiritual gifts, the abusing of the Lord's Supper, placing the wisdom of the world above the wisdom of Almighty God. And this division was wreaking havoc in the church, the people of God. And so Paul needed to deal with this serious threat because he recognized what the Lord Jesus Christ said to some scribes back in uh, the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. And I quote, if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The division would ultimately destroy God's temple, the church. It could not be able to stand. It would not be able to stand under the division 
that was going on within. So this morning, we will see that the primary cause of this division was pride. And that that pride was rooted in the wisdom of the world. Paul tells the church in Corinth that the wisdom of God is far superior, and it is indeed. And that it brings unity, that God's wisdom brings unity to the body of Christ and not division. So let's see what the Lord wants to speak into our lives this morning. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now I want to go back to uh, verses 16 and 17 just for a minute. It says, do you not know? That you are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple. God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. And so. In light of verses 16 and 17. Which Paul gave a very strong and very stern warning. If you destroy God's temple. God's going to destroy you. In light of that, Paul says, don't deceive yourself. In other words, don't think something to be true that is not. Don't deceive yourself. Paul is issuing this warning. If you think you are wise, and this word wise comes from uh, uh, a Hebrew word that means skillful, to be skilled. In other words, to be skilled at living. It's found in the book of Proverbs over and over again. Proverbs is the book of what? Wisdom, right? And so Proverbs teaches us how to live wisely, how to live skillfully. And so Paul is saying, if you think you're trying to learn how to know how to live this life, live in this world through the wisdom of the world, you are deceiving yourself. He says you would be better to become a fool. Again, in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you think that he is wise in this age or in this period of time that Paul is talking about. And oh, by the way, this age could also be applicable to what we're living in now. Some pretty crazy stuff going on. And if we're trying to live in this world today, according to the wisdom of this world, we're in trouble. It's the wisdom of God that's going to hold us, right? And the Bible speaks about this, right? There's going to come a time when they're going to say bad is good and good is bad. Evil is, ev I mean, evil is good and, and good is evil. We're at that stage. We're there. We're living in it. And so we need to live according to the wisdom of God. He says, for the wisdom, in verse 19, of this world is folly. That word can literally be translated. It is absurd. So let's understand. Who's the creator of this world? God. I'm trying to live in this world according to how I think I want to live. That would be foolish, right? If God created this world, who would be the better source or what would be the better source of living in this world but the one who created it, amen? Does that make sense? But we got people who are trying to live in God's word according to how they want to live, according to their own wisdom. And God's saying that wisdom is absurdity. He says, for it is written, he catches the wise and the craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile or useless or worthless. 
Paul is quoting from Job chapter 5:13 and Psalms 94:11, I believe it is. And what he's saying is, to support what I'm saying, God has already declared that the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of man, is useless. It's worthless. It's worth nothing. It will help you not. He says you would be better to become a fool. That word literally means moron. Now, I'm sorry. If I walked in here and somebody called me a moron, I'd have a problem with you. I'm just being honest. But the Lord is saying in order to become wise in this world, you need to get stupid. Literally. What he's saying is, is that we need to let go of the ways of this world, the wisdom of this world, and become foolish for Christ. Because this world sees the wisdom of God as foolishness, right? And God is saying in the world's eyes you'll be foolish, but in God's eyes you'll be what? You'll be wise. You'll be wise. Turn, if you would, please, to the book of James, chapter 13. And in the book of James, we see uh, a pretty clear description of, of uh, true wisdom versus the wisdom of this world, or in fact, the wisdom of Satan. James 3, 13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And that's what was happening in the church in Corinth, right? In verse 17, but wisdom, but the wisdom from above is pure then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see the difference in the wisdom of uh, the world and the wisdom of God? The wisdom of the world is divisive. It brings selfishness, ambition, and anger. It strives against one another. And the, the wisdom of God says it brings peace. And there was no peace going on in the church in Corinth. Because they were living their life according to uh, the wisdom of the world. This wisdom demonstrated by the church in Corinth was demonic, earthly, worldly, creating pride that brought about division within the church. And so we see that the wisdom of the world is first deceptive, but it's also divisive. And going on in verse 21. So let no one boast in man in men for all things are yours. So let no one boast in men. All things are yours. And, and Paul is saying, if you're just going to settle for I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas or Peter, then you're really limiting yourself and cheating yourself to what God wants to give you in the fullness. Don't boast in men, Paul says. 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. All are yours. And so the wisdom of God says don't boast in man. 
Don't boast in one individual because you're limiting yourself. He says, all is yours. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, all are yours. They were there for your spiritual growth. He says the world. He says life. He says death. He says present. He says future. All are yours. And what Paul is doing is he's using uh, uh, a type of figure of speech. And if you would look at Romans 8, he's doing the same thing. He says nothing can separate us from the uh, love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, life, death, angels, principalities, height, depth, and all of that. And what he's doing is he's taking two extremes and he's including in uh, chapter 8 of Romans uh, the love of God. Well, here he's saying that all is yours. God has created everything, life, death, for you. All. And so why are you limiting yourself? In essence, is what Paul is asking. Why are you limiting yourself to just one individual? God has given everything to you. And he says all is yours and all is ours because we belong to Christ, because we are joint heirs, we are fellow heirs with Christ because of the death of Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 8, if you would. He says, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And we know that everything that God has, he's given to Christ. And because we are heirs, we have everything. Romans 8, 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. We are joint heirs with Christ. All things, all things are ours. Paul is saying that through Figure of speech, again, everything belongs to us. And we've heard the term every lock, stock, and barrel, right? That means the whole thing, and that's what Paul is saying. And so therein is the unity. God has given us everything. We are his, he is ours. There's a unity. So the wisdom of God brings about unity. It shows us how to be united. He's saying don't boast in man. Boast in what God has done for you and so wisdom also speaks of humility God's wisdom verse 1 of chapter 4 this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God Paul tells the people in Corinth how they should view the leaders not just Paul but all leaders that that lead uh, the body of Christ the church of almighty God he says we are to be viewed as servants. And this word servants in, in the New King James, it says ministers, is not the word minister that's normally used. It's underwear. And what it is is a, a picture of someone in a Roman galley in a, a warship, a, a Roman warship that's rowing with an oar. And you've got a captain that's beating the temple, telling them and directing them which way the ship is supposed to go. And so what Paul is trying to show us is that we have a captain, amen? And we're to look to our captain for direction. We're the underworld. And he's saying, don't put these men, don't put me on a pedestal. We're underworlds. Underworlds could also be uh, someone who is subordinate to a superior. And I've been in churches where uh, sometimes uh, the people want to venerate uh, the pastor. Please don't do that to me. The pastor is a servant. The word minister 
are used in the context of the book of Acts when Paul was talking about, I'm sorry, when uh, uh, Luke wrote about uh, the apostles not wanting to uh, forsake uh, prayer and teaching of the word, they needed to raise up ministers full of the spirit to do what? To serve uh, the widows. And so we're servants. The Lord says that the greatest among you shall be what? A servant of all. And so the idea that Paul is trying to show the, the people of Corinth, the church in Corinth, is that God's wisdom brings humility. Don't lift me up. I want to be looked at as a minister, as a servant. But he also says, moreover, uh, it is required in verse 2, stewards that they be found trustworthy. A steward was someone who manages someone else's uh, daily affairs, household affairs. And he says, I want to be found trustworthy. In other words, faithful. So if I want to be found trustworthy, what is he saying? At some point in time, I'm going to have to give an account, right? Someone's going to have to check the books. I want to be found faithful. But not only myself, all who stand in this position that God has given us. And so not only... Am I to be a servant, a minister, but a steward, but a steward of what? He says a steward of the mysteries of God. That's pretty powerful. It's one thing to be a steward of someone's earthly possessions, right? Someone who has a lot of money and, and, and they give you uh, authority to manage that. That's a pretty uh, uh, serious responsibility and rightfully so. But we're talking about spiritual things. It doesn't get any more serious than that, amen? Because this world's going to pass away. But what we do spiritually is what's going to last. And so Paul is saying that, yes, uh, we've been given the position of authority to, to lead God's people and teach God's people. But we're to do it as a servant, as a steward recognizing that there's someone that we're going to have to give an account to but also recognizing the seriousness of the position that God has given me and I'm telling you that will humble you the wisdom of God brings humility Paul goes on to say but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul says that it's a very small thing that you should judge me or that I would be judged by any human court. He says, in fact, the one who's going to judge me is who? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says something interesting in this passage. He says in verse 4, For I'm not aware of anything against myself. You know what he's saying? Paul's saying, I have a clear conscience, and everything that I've done as I've served the Lord, I have done it with a clear conscience. Man, that's a powerful testimony, I'm here to tell you. Paul says, I've done it to the best of my ability, doing what I believe was right, and my conscience is clear. He says, although I think that, he says, that doesn't mean that I'm not guilty. So he wants them to recognize that. 
But do you know what it is, what freedom it is to, to serve the Lord with a clear conscience? To not have to worry about something in the back that you did and you're still carrying around? To live your life dragging something that was rooted in something you did years ago? Paul says, I've served the Lord with a clear conscience. Although he says there's coming a time when who will judge me? Not you. It is the Lord who judges me. Now that's good and bad. Because people don't judge the right way. People will judge you based on what they think, how they see. They have prejudices, right? He says the Lord is going to judge me. And again, that's good or bad. What I mean by that? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is righteous. And he's just. So when he judge, it's going to be the righteous, just judgment. Amen. So when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to have to worry about any prejudice. But at the same time, we need to recognize that the judgment is going to be true and right. He says, I don't have to worry about you guys judging me. The righteous judge will judge me. That's a word for you and I. That you and I should remember who we're serving. Am I doing things for the glory of man? Or am I doing things for the glory of God? Because at the end of the day, and understand what I'm saying. At the end of the day, I don't care what you think about me or what I'm doing. And I mean that in a, a spiritual way. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be liked. But at the end of the day, I don't answer to you. Answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. So question, as you serve the Lord, who are you serving for? Are you serving for him or are you serving so others can see what you're doing? Because at the end of the day, he's going to be the one to judge. At the end of the day, he's going to be the one to tell you how your life was. And again, that doesn't mean that I walk around. I don't care what you think about me. That's not what I'm saying. Because we all want to treat people with, with grace and be gracious and loving. But at the end of the day, I need to recognize that my life is built upon pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, for those of you, well, I'm not called to serve the Lord. I'm not a pastor. I'm not called to be a minister. Eh. Your life is service to the Lord. Amen. How you live your life serves the Lord. So how you living? Are you living in such a way to honor the Lord, to please him? Are you living your life in such a way to please man? Paul says the Lord judges me and you know what Paul is telling us the Lord will judge us verse 5 therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to the light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the the heart then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul is saying, don't judge me. God will. But he says something here very interesting. He says that in God's judgment, God's going to bring all that is hidden in darkness to the light and will disclose the purposes of the heart. You know what um, Paul is saying? Paul is saying that when the Lord judges, he's going to bring everything, all the facts, to the light. But not only that, he's going to bring the purposes. There's no better judgment than that. Everything true and honest will be revealed. God will show 
God will know. He will bring it all to the light. Every intent of the heart and everything that we did. And so Paul is saying, I would rather be judged by the perfect righteous judge than the imperfect individual. I would rather be judged by almighty God. Paul saying, don't be premature because there's coming a time even when God will come to judge. And I don't know about you guys, but I think that time is coming real quick. <laughs> and so we see the wisdom of the world brings division. It brings deception. We see the wisdom of God brings unity and humility. But let's see what the cure is for this division. And from... Uh, Verse 6 all the way to the end. Paul's going to end this section of uh, 1 Corinthians that speaks about the division. And Paul is going to give us the cure, if you will, the remedy for division. Look at what he says. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. There it is there. That's the problem, being puffed up, being prideful. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so the first thing we see here is that the reason for the division is pride, right? Well, in order to cure a problem, you got to first know what? What the problem is, right? You got to know. You can't cure something if you don't know it. And so Paul is saying the problem with you guys is that you are prideful. That's the first thing. In order to cure, we need to find the problem. And the problem is pride. And then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, he uses uh, Apollos and himself as an example, as figures to learn how to live their lives. Look at what he says again. I've applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up. To not go beyond what is written. Paul is saying, in other words, I want you guys to use us as an example that you not go beyond what is written, meaning that we are obedient to what the word of God says. We live our lives according to the word of God, not based on our inclinations, not based on our feelings, not based on what the world says. And Paul is saying, use us as an example. We are the example that you need to follow because they obeyed God and not the world's opinion. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? Or in other words, why do you see yourself as being superior? What have you received that was not given to you? That reminds me. I was thinking about this, and I was trying to put it in, in human terms. I'm a huge sports fan. Basketball, football. Baseball, no, I don't like baseball. Mm, that's too slow. 
And so I started thinking about some, some uh, superstars in the, in, in the sports of the NBA. Everybody knows Michael Jordan, right? Want to be like Mike. Everybody's heard of Kobe Bryant, right? Well, even before them, there was Magic Johnson. And these three individuals, and this is just my own opinion, top 50 in the NBA that, that's ever played. Um, I know a little bit about, you know, their, their basketball career, but I also know a little bit about them personally. Magic Johnson wasn't the greatest sports player, I mean, athlete, uh, and believe it or not, neither was um, uh, Michael Jordan, no Kobe Bryant, but they have one thing in common. You know what that was? They were extremely competitive. They hated to lose. They would beat their little son down that back. I mean, get that out of there because they did not like to lose. And so they worked hard to get to where they were. Shooting, you know, basketballs a thousand times before, you know, going home when everybody else uh, went home. They still there. But the one thing that they could not give themselves was that competitive drive. Everybody doesn't have that. That's God-given. Because I know some people, you guys listening? Shh, real quick. Between you and me. Pastor John, the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, extremely competitive. He hates losing. Y'all didn't hear that from me? If I don't know nothing about that. I know nothing about that. But he is. He's extremely competitive. I'm not. There are some people who are just that I believe, and it's just my own personal opinion, that that's how God made that individual. And so you see what I'm saying? God made that individual to be competitive, but they had to work for it. God has called us to be whom we are. He has given us gifts and talents. That's what Paul is telling the church in Corinth. They had what? They had spiritual gifts of, of uh, uh, prophecy, of uh, speaking in tongues, of all of these things. God gave them. And so they're walking around all puffed up like, they, look, yeah, I got, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. That's right. That's right. I can speak in, what can you do? Oh, you, I prophesy. I speak like an angel. No. Really? Well, where'd you get that from? Well, God get it. God gave it to me. Yeah, but yeah, but I worked hard. I'm on my face every night and I'm praying to God. Yeah, I get that. But the gift itself is from God. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So why are you acting like you're superior is what Paul is saying. When everything that you have, everything that you receive came from Almighty God. Again, world's wisdom produces pride and division. Verse 8, already in here, Paul gets kind of uh, um, harsh with a purpose, a bit of irony, if you will. Verse 8, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings and and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. What Paul is pointing to here is uh, the millennial kingdom where we will all reign with Christ, right? And he's saying, wait a minute, you guys have already fast forward. You guys are already reigning. You guys are already rich. They're walking around puffed up in their pride. He goes on to say, 
verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. Paul uses this irony to contrast how worldly wisdom produces arrogance and pride and godly wisdom produces humility. Again, notice he's talking about how they were acting as if they had already arrived. They were rich. They were already reigning with Christ. And Paul is saying, we've made fools of ourselves. We go homeless. We go hungry. We're even considered the scum of the earth, the refuge of the earth. So you see the difference? That how worldly wisdom will puff me up and promote me to, to make me think that I'm somebody that I'm not? When in actuality, the wisdom of God produces a humility in me. And because of that, because of this pride that they had, there was a division in the church of Christ. And Paul is saying the way that we cure that is through recognizing who we are. Recognizing who you are in Christ. Yeah, my, my papa, my spiritual papa, Owns a cattle on a thousand hill. I'm rich. That's right. I'm right. That's right. I'm rich. I'm spiritually rich. But the reality of it is, in this world, I need to be poor. Poor in spirit, for they shall what? See heaven. <laughs> God resists the proud. Amen. But he does what? But he gives grace to the humble. Right? And so we can see through these teachings how Paul shows the church in Corinth that humility is the best way. And so in verse 16, look at the cure. Verse 16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's the cure to division. Imitate Paul. He says, imitate me. I urge you to do that, to be like me. But Paul's desire in verse 14 through 17 was not that he would humiliate the Corinthians. He didn't want to embarrass them or shame them that's not why he spoke in the manner when he contrasted the uh the proud versus you know the humble he did it to warn them as an admonishment in verse 14 he says i did not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you to warn you a gentle reprove if you will why because you are my children and wouldn't any loving parent warn their child 
He's not doing this to beat them up. He's doing this to warn them. He says, because I love you. You are my children, Paul says. That is why I'm doing that. And to show them how much he loved them, look at what he says in verse 17. This is so cool. That is why I sent you who? Timothy. Y'all got to recognize who Timothy is now. Come on, somebody. He's sending Timothy. He ain't sending just an average Joe Blow. Who's Timothy? Timothy was his spiritual son in the faith. But recognize who Timothy is. If, if you would, please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Man, he's not sending a second string to, to, to come talk to them. He's sending his very best. And when you love somebody, don't you give them your best? Yeah, you do. Philippians 2 verse 19 says this, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And here it is here, verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit, that means equal soul, who is, now look at what it says here, who is generally concerned for your welfare. Paul said, I'm sending you my best. Timothy is the best that I got. I'm not sending you a second string. I'm sending you first string, star on the team. I'm sending you Timothy. So he's letting them know, man, I didn't do this to shame you. I'm doing this to protect you and to help you, to warn you, to beware. And what was Timothy going to do? Timothy was going to remind them of the principles and the examples of Paul's way of life in Christ. And what is that? Glad you asked. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Timothy was there to remind them. To use Paul as an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1 says this. Be imitators of me just as I also am of who? Christ. That's the example right there. When Paul says imitate me, he's not saying, you know, because I got it going on. I'm that guy. He's saying imitate me. Why? Because my life has been patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you follow him, you're all right. So when you follow me, you're not following Paul, he's saying. You're following who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is telling the church in Corinth that I'm sending you Timothy and he's going to show you how to live your life and I'm going to be the example, but I'm not puffing myself up because Paul said, I don't have it going on. Because somewhere in the scripture, he says, there's nothing good in my flesh. Paul recognizes who he is. But he's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so therein is the cure for this division. Humility and living life like Christ. And in closing, verse 18. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I, I love this part. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? Hmm. Or with love in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, what's your pleasure? <laughs> we could do this the easy way or we could do this the hard way, right? <laughs> Paul anticipates that 
not all were going to be moved by his appeal because, you know, the church in Corinth didn't think too highly of Paul, right? They, they held him in much contempt. And so Paul is saying, that's okay. Paul is saying, if I have to show up and take action, I am more than ready and more than capable of doing that. And here's what he says, because coming in the power of the Spirit is how I'm going to come. He says, you can do all the talking you want to, but if there's no power behind that talk, it means nothing. Talking loud, saying nothing. Where I come from, we have this saying. It's clean, so you guys don't have to cover yours. Don't talk about it. Be about it. That's what Paul is saying. So you can talk all you want to about how you're this and you're that, but if it's not demonstrated in the power of Almighty God, you're just flapping your gums, amen? You're just talking loud and saying nothing. And Paul is saying, there's going to be some that I know are not going to receive this word, but I got something for you. And then he says, now how do you want me to come? <laughs> you want me to come with a stick? I got that. I'd rather not. I'd rather not. Isn't that what a good parent is? I'd rather come to you and love on you, son. But if I got to beat you down, I will. <laughs> Paul says, I want to come in love. I want to come in love. Final thoughts. Paul identified the cause of the division, which was what? It was pride. And that pride was because the church in Corinth was operating in the wisdom of the world. The world's wisdom divides. It produces arrogance. Paul gave instructions on how to cure that division, and those instructions were to what? To imitate him, which meant what? To walk in humility, which meant what? To walk in the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world divides because it is the wisdom of Satan and his goal is to divide the church of God and destroy it. That's his mission, kill, steal, and destroy. And so when we see a church that's operating in the spiritual pride, Satan is in the midst of it, and he's doing his best to destroy it because that's his mission. The wisdom of God brings unity through humility and the wisdom of God. And here it is, family. That's a sure foundation. Amen? That's a sure foundation. If we walk in the spirit of humility and the wisdom of God, you know what's going to be happening in God's church. There's going to be love. Uh, love's going to be poured out. People are going to be caring for one another. That's a sure foundation. And because of that, guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against that. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you, God. How good you are. How glorious you are. And Father, I'm just reminded, you've given us the mind of Christ that we might know your wisdom. The wisdom that the world cannot understand because they think it is foolishness. But Lord, we know the wisdom of God is the foundation that we live our lives on. Because the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of man is foolishness to you. And so, Father, help us to become fools for you. That we might find wisdom 
through your word. And Lord God, as we leave this place today, I pray over the congregation, Lord God, that you would fill them with a spirit of your power. Lord, it's not enough for us to talk about the things of God. May the wisdom of God be demonstrated in the power of God in our lives. And above all, Lord God, that greatest power, the greatest power that we can demonstrate is love. Father, your word says that there's no greater commandment than to love God and to love others as ourselves. So, Father, made that Wonder working power, the power of God Almighty working in our lives be demonstrated in how we love not only each other, but love this world. You've called us to that, Lord. You called us to be salt and light and help us to be that, Father. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you. We love you. We love you, Father. Go before us, Father. Make our path straight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure that you are subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.